So go with me over to Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin to talk to you tonight about the well stoppers. We're the well, but unfortunately a lot of believers are stopped up. Acts chapter 1. Verse 1, in my former book, Theolophus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen after his suffering. Now watch this, he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit then, but guess what? He still gives instructions through the Holy Spirit today. So we've got to be in a position to actually hear. So I mentioned to you that tongues actually primes your hearing to receive the instructions from the Holy Spirit. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive and appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, say it's a command. Don't let anybody ever tell you this Holy Ghost thing is an option. If Jesus is Lord and it's a command, then what should we do? We should receive everything that he has for us. It's a command. While he was eating with them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. My Father promised this isn't some kind of a horrible thing. It's not a demon. It's what the Father promised. How I many should want what the Father promised? Amen. Say it with me. I want what the Father promised. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. My Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Shout that out. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my wells. You will be my witnesses, my wells in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of Callaway County. Amen. Amen. Look at that word again, power. It's dynamic, dynamis, power. It is, it is forceful. Now, just because it's not necessarily doing a lot in you or through you right now does not mean it's not there. It's there. Um, there has to be a certain um, chain of events for something that has explosive nature in it to actually be detonated. And I'm not going to go into all of that, but I can tell you this. My dad was involved with uh, you know, military-grade munitions and manufacturing just a few hours from here for years for uh, Air Force, for the Navy, uh, for the Trident missile. The guidance system that, that guides the Trident nuclear missile was actually created up in Marion, Illinois, for example. And um, that kind of thing. And so what happens is you'll, you'll find out that there's certain things that have to come into line for there to actually be an explosion. In the natural, that's true. I remember one time he told me the story of a semi-truck loaded with, with nitroglycerin. Wouldn't you like to know if there's a truck with nitroglycerin on your highway? Wouldn't you like to know that? But <laughs> it's not necessarily marked. It's, it may say flammable or explosive, whatever. And that uh, material has to be kept it at certain temperatures and has to be stabilized, as you can imagine, because when it gets into different environments, you know, its, its stability changes. And on one occasion, the, the fail-safes failed, and when it arrived there in that truck, uh, it very easily, just with a jarring of a door, could have blown the plant up and half the refuge with it and everything else. And uh, he had to go in there and find out, you know, if in fact 
you know, it was still stable, and that's what they did. So thank God it, it didn't because it would have killed all of them. It would have killed half the people in the plant. You can see that there had to be a series of events for that particular compound. Well, what's inside of you is more powerful than anything that came on a truck into the Olin Corporation in Marion, Illinois. You see this? What's inside of you is explosive, and it's, it's renewed, is renewed as the days are long in your life. It's always there. This explosive power is resident in you. Well, then why is it not doing anything? Because it needs a detonator. Some of you might have some C4 in your car. I hope you don't. But as long as there's no detonator, guess what? It's not going off. It has all the potential, I mean, to blow up an entire line of cars and put a hole in the ground, you know, 25, 30 feet wide. But without the right set of circumstances, it's not going to do anything. So listen, it's not that what's inside of you is deficient. It's not that what's inside of you is second class or somehow you don't have it. It's in there right now. You have dunamis power. How do I know it? Because the word says you shall receive power. Now raise your hand if you're born again. Raise your hand, other hand if you're spirit-filled. Then you have the power in there. The question is why hasn't that power been producing for us? I'll tell you part of the problem, and we've already covered this, but I'll cover it again, because we've trained ourselves that even though we're born again and spirit-filled, there might be a measure of power in there. But the real power is in somebody's location or in their personality or in their ministry. And instead of being trained to cultivate and unstop the well that you are and get this set of circumstances correct so that there can be detonation, we've trained you to look outside of yourself for an explosion. And what God is saying to this church now, the Spirit of God is going to train us to look inside of ourselves for an explosion and how to uncork that thing and how to release that potential that is not destructive in nature, but it's what? It's constructive. It benefits those who release it. Write this down. It's explosive power and it's displacement power. What does most of the damage in an explosion is the rapid movement of air from one place to the other, and knocking down buildings, shredding human beings, destroying cars, whatever it's in its path. Um, in, a, in a nuclear blast, you've got the immediate impact, which kills and destroys, and then, you, of course, you have the radiation, which over time will kill, but the majority of things that are destroyed is the outgrowth of this impact area, the displacement of that air moving across very violently. It's the same thing with a volcano. How many remember when that man wouldn't leave Mount St. Helens and that, uh, that uh, volcano, you know, spewed out this stuff. It's like 900-degree cloud. Could you imagine being hit with a fog that's 900 degrees? I mean, you're instantly baked, but it's moving very, very, very fast. I can't remember what the, what the top speed was, but it was faster than you could, you know, basically drive away from it. And what happens is when you get caught in that thing, it's, it's destruction. The thing about God and his power is when it catches you, it's not destructive. Can God destroy anything? Yes, but that's not his harder nature. If he was in the destroying things, he never would have made this earth, never would have made you. Um, God is not the God that says, you know what, I want to break their leg just to prove to them I can heal it. No, God is a good God. Say it with me, God's a good God. You say, why is that important? It's been important for us to teach you and pound into the ground the concept that God's nature is good, because if you don't believe that, you're not going to feel like you have something that's good to release on this side of you. Uh, there's coming a day for judgment, but it's not coming for you. 
Your sin's already been judged in Christ. How many, how many glad you're forgiven? You've been made righteous. That's dealt with you. So what, what now uh, is our mission is to take what's on the inside of us and share it with others. So watch this. The displacement, you know, power is there. That shock wave of, of air that destroys the works of the devil and dispenses the, lives of, the life of God. It destroys the works of the devil. Isn't that why Jesus came? Amen. He came. Well, if that's his mission, then guess what? Our mission is also to destroy the works of the devil. Now, you know, COVID is the work of the devil. If there ever was a demon manifestation in our day, it is that. But no weapon formed against us will prosper. And so you keep fighting, you keep believing, you keep standing. Uh, and you can put all your confidence if you want to in natural things, but I really believe the Spirit of God is trying to tell the church to put your confidence back onto the spiritual things. That's where your ultimate protection is at, and not just for yourself, but for others. We've been so much in a bunker mentality that we have forgot that you and I have the answer. Head for the hills, get behind your house doors, close the doors, shut the church down, you know, because after all, that's what we should do. And all the time, you have explosive, displacing power on the inside of you. I'll take a better amen than that. Uh, glory to God. That's true of the Acts 2 narrative, the Acts 8 narrative, 9, 10, and 19. All these narratives, would people receive the Holy Ghost, they received Power. Jesus did not want us going out without power. Ironically, though, that power has been capped for various reasons. If we have time, we'll get into at least one of those tonight. But look at somebody and say, I'm taking the lid off. Come on, say it, I'm taking the lid off. And going to manifest the power of God. Say it with me, I'm taking the lid off. And I'm going to manifest the power of God. Uh, I felt like prompted by the Spirit of God to tell you that when you look at people like Oral Roberts or Benny Hinn or Catherine Coleman or, or look at people like Smith Wigglesworth or Lester Summerall, the healing revivalist, John G. Lake, we look at those folks and we go, oh, isn't that amazing? What a wonderful thing it was that God would pick them, that God would put his finger on them and use them. We missed the whole point. Can I tell you what the real key is? Those people learned how to take the lid off. There is nothing that operated in Smith Wigglesworth that is not already in you. I can say that, but until revelation comes to you, it's not going to matter. There is nothing that operated in John G. Lake that's not already in you. There is nothing that Oral Roberts had that you don't already have. What did they do? What did they do? They learned how to take the lid off. Turn to somebody and say, you're in school, and you're learning how to unstop your well. And uh, you say, well, uh, is that all my fault? It's not about fault. It's about revelation. Does that make sense? God is not interested in beating anybody down and condemning anybody. It's, it's, we're too late in the hour for his people to walk around in condemnation. That's the last thing we need. We need to know what to do and then go and do it. You know, if somebody's starving to death, it's not about arguing how they got there. Let's put some food in their stomachs. Let's take care of them. Uh, it's the same thing with any other dynamic. Let's just, let's just address the need that is there. So I want you to, to see this in Jesus' ministry because he's, this is really what he was talking about. When we get so used to glorifying personalities and positions and platforms and locations that we don't realize that he's wanting us to be the well. Say it, I am the well. 
In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And in verse 18, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. So in that well is the anointing or power to preach and to share the good news. I can never preach. I can never teach. I can never give my witness. I can never tell somebody what Jesus did for me. Yes, you can. It's already in there. And your story is your story. I mean, you know God has done something great for you. Raise your hand if God brought you out of an Egypt experience. You know what he did for you and continues to do for you. So you can't say that I don't have the power to open up my mouth. Yes, you do. Because that's already in the well. Because the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Inside that well are things to communicate and things to demonstrate. Write that down. In that well are things to communicate and things to demonstrate. Jesus you know, telegraphed what he was going to do, and then he followed up with what? With signs following. The word is confirmed with signs following. Uh, they may have even talked about some of this from time to time, but they never had the power to produce it. And then those that were you know, set apart by God would receive partial and temporary anointings or that, that well that gives them somewhat of the power of God, and they did amazing things with it. I'm still you know, just flabbergasted, and I think that Elisha did what he did with a partial and temporary anointing. What's in you right now is, is not comparable to what they had. Take any Old Testament figure you want, and the powerful things they did, they did with a limited, temporary, partial filling. And you have it all. So then what's the problem? The problem is not whether it's there or not. The problem is untapping it. Amen. Come on, somebody say, give me revelation and understanding. So in you tonight, say in me tonight, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the blessing, the favor of God, the sevenfold Spirit, the anointing of God. I have inside of me what to communicate, and what to demonstrate. You're about to enter into the land of great demonstration. Man, poke, you know, just poke somebody right now, point your finger at him and say, that's you. He's talking about you. You're moving into not just understanding or not just preaching and teaching, but demonstration in your own life. Good things in store for you. Amen. If I could just be like Smith Wigglesworth. You're supposed to be greater than Smith Wigglesworth. We're in the end times. It says, that's a nice sentiment, but I can't wrap my brain around it. I'm asking you to bypass your brain. Go straight for the Spirit of God inside of you and just let it bear witness to you. And I, I'll tell you this, when you start getting those promptings and hearing them and acting on them, and then you start you know, lining up stories, it's just going to build your faith all the more. Amen? Amen? When God moves in your life. So the power of God displaces the sin and replaces it with righteousness. I just can't help it. I have to sin. No, if you would uncork that which is on the inside of you, it would push out the sin and it would replace it with righteousness consciousness and victory in every area of your life. The power of God displaces bondage and replaces it with liberty. Pushing out the addictions and pushing out the limitations and pushing out the things that hold people and keep them back and keep them defeated 
lot of people in the body of Christ discouraged and disappointed and depressed. That's not God. And I'm not, I'm not knocking medicine. I mean, most of you know I was, I was pretty bad and headed in that direction. I had nothing but honor and respect for those in the health professions. And if you don't, you know, if you didn't before, you should now. They've been on the front lines and continue to be on the front lines doing things that are extraordinary. Only, only God could help them do what they're doing. You know, from respiratory therapists to the nurses who are right there on the cutting edge to the physicians, I'm telling you, thank God we have them. The dead would be untold and innumerable right now if we did not have that. So that's not the point. The point is, though, that ironically, the cure to all of these things is on the inside of us right now. The cure for depression is not in the bottle. You can manage, listen to me, you can manage depression with a bottle. But the cure is where? It's on the inside of the believer. So let's take a believer who's, who's struggled with depression for maybe 10, 20 years. What do we do? We, we've got to get that which is on the inside of them uncorked. So that it displaces that and then fills the heart with joy and with victory and with peace. Are you still here? The power of God displaces poverty and replaces it with abundance. When Jesus said he preaches the gospel to the poor, it wasn't, I don't care about your existence on earth. That's just get you saved so you can go to heaven one day. That's nonsense and does not fit with either the old covenant or the new covenant. Preaching the gospel to the poor means you don't have to be poor no more. Come on, say it. Poor no more. Broke no more. Sick no more. Full of sin no more. Defeated no more. Depressed no more. We keep, we keep thinking, yeah, it's out there somewhere. So-and-so would pray for me, or I get to go to this meeting. It's right there inside of you right now. Just go ahead and tap your tummy. It's, it's in there now. I said, Pastor, I, I don't like that. that. That aggravates me. Well, sometimes we need to be aggravated on our way to Revelation. I don't like that, this idea that the, the victory and and overcoming, and the cure, and, and everything that I might need in other people's right on the inside of me all this time. How many understand the devil's good at what he does? And if you don't think that he cannot blind the minds of Pentecostal and charismatic believers, yes, he can. And as I said before, it's not necessarily the fault of the congregation when the preachers are conditioning you to look to them instead of to the Lord and what he put inside of you. Go on, say it, it's inside of me. Go on, say it, it's inside of me. The power of God displaces sickness and replaces it with healing and divine health. I believe that Jesus is going on a healing spree. I believe that it's in you, according to the word of God, and it's coming out. And you don't have to do anything fancy, you just need to hear and obey. Come on, say it with me, hear and do. Hear and do. And do. Someone's sick, you know, they're having problems, they may be in, in service or not, you lay hands on them and release what's on the inside of you, and boom, they're healed. How fun is your life going to be? Watch this. Versus the paradigm, if we can just have Brother Barkley pray for them, then everything would be great. If we can just get over the service over here, then everything would be great. Right. Or if we can just cry out to God and cry enough and fill enough Kleenexes you know, with our snot, then God will hear us and heal. We keep going outside of the reality of the teachings of Scripture. It's where? It's in you. Amen. It's in you. 
And, uh, you know, and Carolyn, I just, I, the word of the Lord concerning, you know, your ministry as a health care provider, can you receive this tonight? An anointing to do it. Not just uh, a, a career or a chosen path, but an anointing to do what you're doing. The Spirit of God spoke to me that, that while you've been traveling, God has protected you over and over and over and over and over again. There is an anointing on you. And we're going to believe that same anointing comes on every single person in the health care provision. I mean, to protect them in a way that natural things can't. Say it with me. Protected. Blessed. Called of God. And listen to me. I'm not just talking about physical, obvious physical. But our health care providers also need the touch of God in their minds and their emotions and their spirits. They've seen too much. Can you all just stick your hands like this towards her right now? And we're also praying for anybody else that might be in this building that is health care provider in our church, part of our fellowship. Father, we thank you, Lord, that what is in them is enough. It rises up and displaces, Lord Jesus, all the fatigue. Lord Jesus, any frustration that is there. Lord Jesus, any kind of issues with emotions or physically, Lord, or mentally as a result of the battle. We thank you, Father God, that what is on the inside of her and all the others that serve to help people that are hurting, that are sick, Father, would minister in, in great power. Lord, I thank you, Father, it flows in her, but it flows through her to others. And even in the coming days and weeks, there are going to be people come up to her and say, there's something about you. Would you pray for me? I want what you have on your life that's helping you through this situation. And we bless them right now with blessing. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that they're on the front line. And we thank you, Father, they walk in Psalm 91 protection in Jesus' name. And I also thank you, Lord, because of the revelation. There's a new weapon in their arsenal beyond even the natural medicine, Father God, that as they lay hands of compassion on them, you'll drive out these things in Jesus' name. You'll drive out the COVID with a word, and they'll be restored. And no one will understand these things in the natural, but we will know, and the people of God will know that you're moving, Lord. You are arranging right now, Father, a counter move to this, this action of, of terror, Lord, across this world. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Do you agree with that tonight? Say it with me. The power of God, displacing sin, and replacing it with righteousness consciousness. The power of God, displacing bondage and bringing liberty. The power of God, displacing poverty and bringing abundance. The power of God, displacing sickness and replacing it with divine health and healing. In who? In you. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I can wrap my brain around that. Well, let, go to Ephesians with me. And just let it go just a little bit deeper in your understanding. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Ephesians 1. Paul is praying, and it's interesting he's praying this because it's basically uh, we're praying and believing the same thing in this, this specific day that we're living in. Ephesians 1.18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What's that mean? He's asking for a revelation. 
is asking for revelation for the people that he has apostolic authority and pastoral responsibility for, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. How many know that the natural hope is different from Bible hope? So he's not asking for a revelation of natural hope. I hope it in a praying. I hope this works out. No, Bible hope, an inner image of an eager expectation that's derived from the word of God and causes you to see a horizon out there, a better future than where you are right now. It is supernatural. That's what Paul is asking for. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He wants you to have a revelation of what is yours now and in the world to come. He wants you to have number, uh, verse 10 and... Uh, Verse, uh, what is that, 19? Yeah. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe. Say, I'm a believer. He wants you to have a revelation of what? The power. Preachers can bang on a holy desk and shout and spit and get red in the face. You've got the power. You've got the power. We can sing songs, you know, like Vernon Tripp. We've got the power, you know, in the name of We can do all that. But until you get the revelation... That the power is not in that location or personality or that church or denomination or that platform or that minister. It's in you. What are you saying, Pastor? Paul wrote this a couple thousand years ago. We're slow, but we're worth waiting for. The very thing I'm talking about tonight is what he is praying for. So we just join him in his faith and receive the word and lay hold of this that we're going to have that understanding that the power is in us, that explosive, dunamis, sin-displacing, sickness-displacing, poverty-displacing, bondage-displacing, depression-displacing. We're going to see all that moved out by that power of God, a revelation that you would have of his power for us who what? Us who what? Notice it does not say for us who are apostles. For us who are prophets, for us who are special, for us who are believers. Every believer in here is a well, and the power is in that well. Look at somebody say, there's something in you. Say it boldly, there's something in the water. That power, watch this. How can Paul describe the power so that we'll get it? That power is like the working of the mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Yes. And seated him, what? At the right hand, what? Raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. The resurrection power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him back on the throne is in you now. First step is get a revelation of that. Religion will always keep you chasing your tail and looking outward for the solution. When all this time has passed, when Paul was saying to us, I'm praying that you understand it's in you. Let me say it again. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you now. Let me try that again. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you now. Say it with me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me now. 
well, they got to pray enough and go to enough services, you know, and got to tithe, got to give, and got to say, Shandai is out as I possibly can, and then all of a sudden it'll be in me. No, you're missing the point. It's already in you. These are things that will help you uncork that power, but it's already there. How many of you believe you have a stomach? It's already there. Who put it there? God did. You can believe these things in the natural. How many know your stomach will remind you that it's there? Hallelujah. Did you know that if you'll tell your stomach to shut up, it'll obey you? Moving right along. Say it one more time. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me right now. That's why R.W. Schambach used to say, you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Look at Ephesians 3. There There goes Paul again praying. A prayer for the Murrayites. A prayer for the Callaway Countians, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. Aren't you glad you have his name? Turn to somebody and say, I am not an orphan. I have a name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Where? Where is it at? Where is the strengthening? Where is it located? In your inner man. Through the Spirit in your inner man. So as long as we keep talking about the Holy Spirit, then we have to conclude and be fair, right, and be honest that the same Spirit means the same power. Not two different spirits, not two different powers from the same Spirit. Same Spirit, same power. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. You know what else is on the inside of you? Understanding of the love of God through the same power. Does the body of Christ needs the power to operate in love? As the word went forth today, I thought, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit is always on time, isn't he? He always knows exactly what we need to hear. And he is, of course, the one that is able to give us what? Revelation of what is in there, the nature of it. And part of what's in there is the supernatural ability to love. Some of you think, well, I just can't love some people. Yeah, you can. You just choose not to. Amen. Thank you for this holy grunt tonight, praise the Lord. The power to love them is where? It's here. How do we know? Paul prayed for it. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we uh, uh, ask or imagine, other translations, ask, think, or imagine, according to his power that is where? Where is he targeting his focus? Not out there. It's in us that, uh, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The operation, the flow of that power brings him great glory. Raise your hand if you want to bring him glory. Then we have to make this flow, don't we, church? Turn to somebody and say, let it flow. Now, go back to Genesis 26. 
Praise God. Go and tell somebody next to you, I'm getting this. In um, Genesis 26, And when you've read this before, from about verse 12 to 22, we find out that the, the wells that our patriarch, our father of the faith, you know, dug, what did these enemies of God do? They fill them back up. And the man of God build a, you know, a new well, dig a new well, then what will they do? Or claim it's what? It's theirs. Well, what happens when the man of God just moves on? Right? Right? It's not a location. Where's the anointing? Where's the favor of God? Where's the blessing of God? It's on Isaac. As it's what? It's also on you. Wherever you go, well tapping is possible. You see this? But today, if we're not careful, we can look at Abimelech and his ilk, and we can say that the same things happened to me. Yeah, the well is there, and all these things of the Spirit are in there, and that resurrection power is in there, and the love of God is in there. Are you with me tonight, church? But somebody came along, and they stopped up my well. If somebody hadn't stopped my well up, then I could, you know, go ahead and draw from that, and everything would be great, and my life would be wonderful, and I'd be a blessing to others. Watch this. Just like you don't look to others to be the well, don't look to others as the reason that your well is stopped up. If your well is stopped up, it's because of a combination of things. It could be, you know, worldly living, carnal thinking, could be religion, could be hurts, could be offenses. There are all kinds of things that could be responsible for capping those wells. But here's the good news. Guess what? All the good things are still down there. All of them are still there. If we can uncork that, if we can, you know, get whatever's stopping up our well and release that for the glory of God. The Lord has um, kind of spoken to me about dealing with, with three of these. I'm just going to introduce them briefly for you tonight, and we're going to take these in, in more detail because they're, they're serious. If we're, if we're going to be serious about what's on the inside of us and how many are, and how many are serious about releasing that for the benefit of everybody around you, then we've got to get these things unstopped and then keep them unstopped. So one is, is selfishness. Just write that down in all caps on your piece of paper. Selfishness. That means we're so focused on self that we cannot be bothered to release the contents of the well to others on any regular basis or the direct command of God. Let me say it again. We're so focused on self that we cannot be bothered to release the contents of the well to others on any regular basis or upon the command of God to do so. Um, wrapped up in ourselves. Wrapped up in our health, our bills, our job, our family, our situation. And that's not the way we're called to live. In fact, all those things would be better and healthier if you were mindful to live outside of yourself instead of wrapped in yourself. Selfishness. Uh, no one wants to run down here and say, that's right, Pastor, I'm selfish, pray for me. Uh, <laughs> this is not going to be resolved today in this altar. If, if you still think that by someone laying hands on you as a panacea for all the character issues in your life, you were lied to. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
You allow the Spirit of God to change and transform your heart and renew your mind. You know, God releases power. But see, this again, if we're not careful, becomes a training ground for it's outside of me. It's outside of me. The best thing that can happen is for us to have a church service with 50, 60 sick people instead of coming into their programmed approach to the man of God or the platform. They just find people in the church, would you just lay hands on me? And then instantly everybody in that service is healed by the wells that you are. Do you see the difference there? So we got to be careful in this move of God that we don't reprogram people all over again to depend on somebody who looks like they're a well that's actually in action. Y'all been out west or in the Midwest and you've seen wells that used to, you know, pump, oil wells used to pump in the 60s and 70s. A lot of them in my neck of the woods up in Illinois and, and they just sit there now doing what? Rusting. Some of them are, are just sitting there because it's become too, too expensive to process, to move, whatever, but some of them are just, just plain dry. They're all pumped out. You and I should never be that way. The source is eternal. It's always there for you and for me. But, but selfishness. Uh, I can't be mindful of what the needs are around me because we're so wrapped up in what we're going through. And if that does not reflect what's happened during COVID, I don't know what is. Imagine that somebody's petrified to come to church because of COVID, and yet they're the very one God is assigning to minister salvation or healing to somebody that showed up in that service. Okay, you protected yourself, but you also missed the opportunity and the assignment of God. Somebody didn't get what they were supposed to get because you were more concerned about self-preservation than the advancement of the gospel. And I'm preaching better than y'all are staring at me right now. And there are people that are doing the same thing today. They're still out there, call themselves Christians, but you have to wonder if they only know Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Amen? You know, in Job, it speaks of the, the, the valentry of, of, a, of a war horse. And that horse just runs straight into battle. It's a beautiful picture in Scripture. And that horse doesn't pay any attention to the clanging of iron, the flashing of swords and spears. It just runs into the battle. Who do you think we're supposed to be? Not the horse jumping into the hole until it's all over. Let me know when it's over and I'll jump out and go back to church. Shame on us. Amen? Are you here? Selfishness. So I know what y'all are thinking right now. Pastor, make sure you send me an email because I want to be in that sermon. I want to hear all about selfishness blocking up my well. I can't wait. If you have a heart to want to resolve this thing, that's exactly what you want to say. Amen? Search me, O oh God. Do I have actual time and compassion for other people? Or am I so wrapped up in me that I can't minister well, that's what you guys are supposed to do in the fivefold ministry. Now, we're supposed to train you that you're actually God's solution to the pain in this world. You're his solution. You are his operatives. We can't do very well when we're all stopped up. Number two is strife. It shouldn't be a surprise to you that the word that God gave us tonight had to do with come to him and learn how to walk in his love. I love what Brother Copeland said years ago. He said the Lord just got a hold of him one day and said, you know what the problem of the body of Christ is? And Lord said, he was saying to the Lord, this is going to be good. Just one problem? <laughs> and he said, what's, what's that, Lord? He said, it's your dogged determination to correct one another. 
He said, I'm the Father, and I'll do the correcting. Say it with me. He's the Father, and he'll do the correcting. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to, as leaders, you know, guide people. In fact, Paul told Timothy, you're supposed to preach and, and love and minister and correct, you know, reprove. There are times that has to happen, but there are a lot of people who think they're the policeman. And look, you're not. Amen. Nobody deputized you. Strife is to be so out of love that our faith to release the living water does not work. Faith does not work in an unforgiving heart, period. A lot of people's well is stopped up because they're in strife with people. Do you know that you don't even have to say anything ugly about somebody to be in strife with them in your heart? You don't have to go out ruining their reputation. You don't have to do anything like that. If it's here, it's going to stop up the flow of the goodness of God inside of you. And other people are going to suffer by, by lack of that power. Um, been meditating on this, and I know you've had this, this experience. How many other is an accuser of the brethren? And what does the accuser of the brethren do? Here's a tip. He accuses. So you and I are forgiven. But raise your hand that after you got born again and even spirit-filled, did the devil come to you and remind you of something that you did wrong? Raise your hand up high. Could have said something, done something, failed to say something, failed to act, whatever it is. It could be huge in the eyes of society. It could be non-existent in the minds of society, but you know in your heart you did or didn't do. And here comes the accuser of the brethren to what? To accuse you. Now, the goal is to get you under condemnation so you won't flow in these things like God wants you to flow. And he wants to cap you and keep you in a place where how can I do that after what I've done or what I've said or whatever. But here's the real kicker. (laughs) Think about this. Just because the devil accused you doesn't mean God stopped forgiving you. His accusation has nothing to do with the fact he forgave you. And as far as the east is from the west, he has separated what? He didn't have sin consciousness over you. It's the devil giving you sin consciousness. Just because the devil threw something up to you does not mean that God stopped forgiving you. That's the lie. Now watch this. That's not all the accusing he does. He also accuses others to us. What they did, what they said, what they didn't do, what they didn't say. And he throws these people up. He can throw their names by you. He can throw their faces by you. He can bring up something out of the blue. You're just minding your own business. And all of a sudden you remember the time where you were wounded or betrayed or hurt or stomped on. He is so good. Listen, he's as good at throwing things that have happened to you at you as he has thrown your own sin at you. We've got to get a revelation on what he's doing. Watch this. Just because the devil threw somebody else up to you, what they did to you, doesn't mean you stop forgiving them. You get this? It's the devil trying to put you back into that place of unforgiveness. Let me help you out here. If the devil throws somebody up to you that you forgave, that's proof that they're forgiven. Or you wouldn't do it. Many of you have been taught, well, if I keep thinking about it, it comes across my mind, I must not forget. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's the accuser doing what the accuser does well. 
So-and-so did something to me, and he reminds of what that person said or did. And listen to me carefully. If you're going to flow in these things, forget about being pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, you know, whatever, evangelist. Forget about that. Just be believer who has the power, resurrection power. You flow in these things, you're going to aggravate some people. You're going to experience betrayals and rejections and hurts. Amen. You're really selling this one, pastor. Knives in your back, things that don't make sense, people taking issue and offense for no apparent reason. And all these people that you deal with, and it doesn't go right, it goes sideways. He loves to throw that stuff up in your face and remind you and talk to you about what other people did to you or said about you. That doesn't mean you didn't forgive them. It means the enemy is trying to get you back into a place of unforgiveness. The devil accusing me of sin does not mean that that day God stopped forgiving me. But it can mean that I yield to the spirit of condemnation over what's already been forgiven. And this is when just a few weeks ago the Lord spoke to me. Uh, uh, the, the, the devil brought across my mind somebody that really doesn't like me that much. Hey, Pastor, I mean, somebody doesn't like you in this town? Let's just stop right there, amen, because the night is not long enough to discuss it. <laughs> You're not going to preach an uncompromised word of God and everybody's going to clap for you. You might as well just get that out of your head. It's not going to happen. But then some are, are particularly antagonistic and some are actually tools of the enemy. That shouldn't surprise you. And I'm just minding my own business. I just went and got a cup of coffee. I was just driving back to the church, minding my own business. Driving and sipping, sipping and driving. And all of a sudden, here comes this, this, this demonic remembrance of what they said or what they did. I can tell you I've reached them unto the Lord and I forgave them, but that's not the agenda of the enemy at this point in time. He's wanting to, you know, pull back, you know, the curtain, get me back involved in that. And I just as quick as I can, I thank God for the Holy Ghost. Say, thank God. Say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Say it again. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He immediately said, I didn't have five to ten seconds to meditate on that thing. And he immediately said to me, every time the devil does this, you immediately stop and out loud pray the blessing over that person. Amen. I said, what that, what's that going to do? He said, that is going to stop the devil immediately because he don't want you blessing people. Especially people that he has tried to use to wound. Or even if it's just a misunderstanding. How do you understand? The devil has a lot of Christians bound over misunderstanding. You just back up and let the Lord speak to you. You'd see that that's just a, just a game the devil's playing. So does he accuse? Yeah, he accuses us of what we did before. And he accuses others to us. That doesn't mean you didn't forgive them. But I'd pass this on to you. How many have somebody on this planet that did you wrong? Raise your hand. Okay. You see how fast some of your hands went up? Maybe I do need to open up these altars tonight, but great, raise it up high. You have somebody that, you, that did, you know, that was wrong. I mean, bottom line, there's no way to write that thing. Every time that person, the devil brings that person across your mind, or even if you just happen to see them out, or the devil flashes their name across you, immediately open up your mouth and say, Father, right now I just bless that person. I ask you to just come up on that person and bless them with blessings. To do amazing things in their life today. I promise you this. You'll stay in the place of forgiveness and out of strife. And you'll bless that person. That person will benefit from the devil messing with you about them. After a while, you're going to become too expensive for the devil to mess with you. 
Because what's supposed to destroy you, you're going to turn the tables on him. Do you see this? And now you're blessing them. You know what's going to happen if you keep blessing them? You're going to fall in love with them. Oh, pastor, you just don't know. Well, try it and see. The Holy Ghost is never wrong. Amen? Say it with me. I bless them. I pray good things over them. I bless them with blessing in Jesus' name. Can you do that? All right. When's the last time somebody that you don't think did your right came across your mind? Was it a week ago? Pastor, about five seconds ago, when you mentioned it. Well, go right ahead and bless them. I don't care. You won't interrupt me. I'm used to that and your door slamming and babies crying. Don't make any difference to me. Just go ahead right now and bless them. You know, some of y'all should get started. It's going to get late real fast for you. How long do I have to do this? Yeah, if that's the case, you bless them all. The devil's going to lose complete grip over you. Total. And you're going to be at peace. And you're going to be an unstopped. Well, there's a whole lot more to this message on strife and offense, but I just want to sow it into your life. Um, third one is, is a thing called shame. We're going to spend a lot of time on this. And this means we're so concerned what people think of us that people consciousness strips us of God consciousness and we don't do the things he wants us to do. You can't lay hands on that person because what will they think? if they think I'm one of them. I can't minister to them because of what they think. I can't say that in front of those people. What will happen? What will they say? How many understand the fear of man disables? Think about that. The spirit enables you, but what? Fear of man will disable you. Um, Shame of of being labeled a certain way or thought of a certain way, that's going to fall from your life in Jesus' name. You're going to be able to minister freely without any concern of what people think about you. That was a good opportunity for you to lay hold of that by faith. It doesn't matter what they say. You're going to witness them. It doesn't matter what they say. You're going to lay hands on them and get them baptized in the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter what they say when they tell you this without hope. You're going to go ahead and lay hands and pray for them anyway because you don't care. You're like Jesus of no reputation. There's a lot in the Word about shame. But I just want to close it tonight by just saying this to you. In addition to selfishness and strife, these things keep a lot of wells tapped, you know, that are closed, and they need to be released and opened up. And I just encourage as we deal with this the next several weeks, just pray about this and say, you know, Lord, um, what's operating in my life? This isn't the only thing that could be, but these are the three of the biggies that the Spirit of God wants us to deal with. Shame. Say it with me. I have no room for strife or selfishness or shame. I mean, inside of you is the answer to somebody's issue. You could powerfully, with explosive power, displace what's going on in them, but you're ashamed to say anything. What will they think about me? They'll think I'm a holy roller. They'll say I have seen the light. Well, you have, haven't you? Amen? Can I give you a tip? They already think you're strange. So if you actually do something that lines up with their expectations, they're going to think you're stranger. It will just confirm their suspicions. In the meantime, though, they might just get a life change in healing. Amen. You're baptized in the Holy Ghost themselves. So come on, give the Lord a hand clap and thank him. And we'll see you tonight.